Hello everyone and welcome back to the Shuttlepot at the Disco. This is our second season and our second episode. Focusing on the second season, second episode of Discovery New Eden. I'm your host, Matt Wright, and I'm joined by my friends Kelly Icovino. Hey everybody. And Jared Whitley. Good evening. So we're here to talk about New Eden, which is a script by Vaughn Wilmot and Sean Cochran, with an original story by Akiva Goldsman and Sean Cochran. And directed by number one himself, Jonathan Frakes. Woohoo! Yeah. So, uh, what did you guys, you know, generally think about the episode, uh, Jared? Uh, I enjoyed it. I feel like they're doing a, a good job with the second season and, and their kind of uh, refresh that they've done with this. Mm-hmm. I thought the production values were extremely good. The, the main thing that I liked is. Uh, uh, so we have this this uh, sort of uh, uh, society that doesn't use modern technology, and everything is dirty, right? And I had yeah. I sniggered because <laughs> I contrasted it to the Baku, who mm-hmm. have you know from Star Trek Insurrection, who live this wonderful, perfect life without technology, and yet somehow it seems like everybody has a blow dryer <laughs> and a shower yeah. and yeah. shampoo <laughs> and, and 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 a washing machine. And and they all their teeth look beautiful and their fingers are manicured or the fingernails are manicured. Anyway, I I, I it felt uh, appropriately gritty and I I felt immersed in the world. So uh, one thing you know we may nitpick stuff about Discovery, but production values have been terrific and yeah, oh, yeah. It up. So kudos yeah. to them. Yeah, and Kayla, how about you? Um, I really liked it. You know, I uh, I think as Jared alluded to, it's um, it's as consistent. It's consistent with the first episode. It's been season has been consistently good so far. Um, I thought it was a nice, nicely packaged sci-fi story. Um, they did they did a nice job. I thought of balancing serialized storytelling with the also telling a piece of the overarching puzzle that's going to go out for the rest mm-hmm. of the season. Um, but we had some that that little standalone story aspect gave us. A nice little journey we got to go through um, while watching the episode, so it gives you um, some nice closure there. So it's like you walk away from it feeling like you, you know, like it, like you've eaten a full meal rather than just an appetizer. <laughs> so mm. you know, it was yes. like I, I felt, um, yeah, I felt satisfied at the end of the meal, basically. Mm. Well said, well said. I like that. Um, yeah, I, I agree with all of you guys. I think it was generally like a quite a satisfactory episode. I felt pretty good about it. Overall, I liked that there was a little um, almost TOS inspired, you know, strange humans end up somewhere, you know, mm-hmm, totally. kind of thing. Um, I liked that part of it. I think it was all fairly interesting. We'll get into nit- nitpicks sort of, but I think overall it was pretty it was pretty enjoyable. I liked it all of it. Um, it was also really interesting to learn a little more about Pike and his background, which is cool because here's a character that we know next to nothing about. Get filled in a little. Uh, yeah, so um, let's just uh, talk about kind of the, the episode itself, you know, Let, we'll sort of go through this kind of linearly through the episode, what we learned, what was going on. And I think it's interesting, the episode opens with a nice kind of uh, quiet discussion between Pike and Burnham, having a decent sort of discussion instead of lots of shouting on the bridge or lots of, you know, excitement that the last episode was, we actually get a, a nice classic you know discussion in a in pike's new gorgeous new um office because remember if we remember back in brother he said 
this Lorca's writing room thing isn't going to work. It's not conducive to discussion. So he's got a new office that's appointed in a southwestern flair, too. Yeah, I noticed that. It's a little... From the southwest. You know. Oh, yeah. Nice. So we were joking um, that I don't see a portrait of Tango, you know, his his horse there. But <laughs> there are some horses in the background, horse figures. But um, anyway, but they have a really great you know discussion. You know, it really um, proves how much of a fan you are that you know the name of the horse. <laughs> <laughs> Tango, you old devil. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> so, but. And of course, then we learned something that's uh, well was 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 shown in the final trailer. But I think is kind of shocking slash interesting is that Spock, when he took leave, eventually asked to be checked. You know, put himself into a psychiatric ward. Mm-hmm. They just kind of dropped that nugget, which we won't get back to just yet. You know, like the rest of the episode, we're not there yet. That's one of those longer themes. You know, yeah, that that's being woven in, and it's like, oh wow, okay, I don't the. My only thought about that is that doesn't seem like a Vulcan thing to do. Like a Spock thing to do. Yeah. Right. That seems like a human thing to do. I feel like Mm. you would want to go home. Body's half human. I know. But I... (laughs) Exactly. From the guy who then tries to ignore his human half most of the time. Like, I feel like that's one of those things where he should be going to a cleric on Vulcan to, like, work through these problems. Right. Oh, like like a Kolinar type of thing. Right. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Unless he has some other reason. Right. For, right. We so we'll find that. out because he still, of course, has not come into the picture yet. So we don't know what caused him to do this. But it's interesting because they just sort of drop this like, sorry, man, you're not going to see your brother right away. Like <laughs> he's put himself into a padded cell for the moment. And it, it's interesting because know. I felt like um, leading up to the season, they've been teasing us with like Spock, Spock, Spock is coming. It's going to be about right. Spock. And then then. um once the season began, they're also sort of teasing us, stringing us along. Like on the one yes. hand, I keep thinking, oh, right, this is going to be all about Spock. And then, and they like tease that a little bit. And then I get lost in, in the story and forget about Spock for a while. And then they're like, oh, by the way, Spock's still here, coming up. Mm. Yeah. Coming to yeah. theaters well, near you. You know, they did the <laughs> yeah. same thing with Unification where Spock didn't show up to the last five seconds. Right. Mm. right. Part one is no Spock at all, really. Yeah. So, um, I think I think there's I thought this episode sort of on that note we're jumping ahead a little bit but I also kind of like that 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 again with all the promotion they were all about Pike oh Pike's everything right even though again Burnham is supposed to be a central character I actually like that Pike gets injured and is out of play for a while which mm. lets everybody else have a you know get highlighted I think that sure. was a nice yep. way to deal yeah. with that yeah good detail. Mm-hmm. So, but we're getting ahead of ourselves because, of course, Pike's new office is nice, yes. And then, of course, they realize that this this burst is from way the heck over on the other side of the Beta Quadrant. So, way far away from any race we know because, uh, although we like to call this the Alpha Quadrant, like, Trek loves to just call everything that we know the Alpha <laughs> Quadrant. Mm. That's not true. About half of what we know is also in the beta quadrant, but I mean our side of the beta quadrant, like the near side. It's like the, the so, but this, isn't the soul system like half alpha and half beta quadrant? Uh, I can't remember if it's exactly half, but it's right near the, it's the right, split. Yeah, anyway. I didn't realize yeah. that until I think I think it was when we had James Kerwin on one of the first shuttle pods we did, and he was oh yeah, talking about, sure that was a yeah, great episode. He was yeah. talking about the um, like stellar cartography and what we know and, and pointing out those mm-hmm. things. And I, I was like, wow, I had no, I assumed. Yeah. Like yeah. everything outside the alpha quadrant, it's like the Delta quadrant. It's so far away. 
Mm, you know, yeah. and, or the gamma quadrant, you need a wormhole to get there. And the beta quadrant is just another one that you didn't hear much about. But like, isn't like Romulan space in the beta quadrant? Oh, yeah. Most, most of Klingon space and all of Romulan space and stuff is in the beta quadrant. Yeah. So like in Deep Space Nine, when they would say that, it was basically shorthand for like everybody we know. You know what I mean? It was like, oh, we'll just call it the alpha quadrant. Like, the, the, There could have also been at some point in, in the intervening years, like uh, a reassignment of where they drew the quadrant lines. If, if you want to try to uh, be an apologist for them. <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. suppose so. You have um, to talk to someone like Larry Nemechek about that one. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and of course his works tell us the story of tell the story of that half the stuff we know is in the beta quadrant. So he knows yeah. what's up. Which quick, 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 very quick aside, but the mm. book Stellar Cartography, Larry's Nemechek's book, is awesome, and everyone should buy it. Yes, awesome. Also used on screen a few times. They took some of his star charts and used them in season one of Discovery for displays. So pretty cool. Um, so the beta quadrant, though, but what we're talking about is way the heck on the other side of the beta quadrant. So not like our near side, but like really the far side, right? And so, and they say it would take them 150 years, which I, I questioned for a minute and then realized that they actually, I think they actually did their homework correctly, which mm-hmm. is that um, in Voyager, so in the 24th century, Voyager's stuck in the Delta Quadrant almost as far away. Um, and they say 75 years. Mm-hmm. Sure. And so, okay, that's the 24th century kind of warp nine stuff. So if you if you sort of adjust for that, because we remember that at least sort of unofficially in the 23rd century, warp drive wasn't quite as fast as whatever scale they use in the 24th century. That's kind of a retcon, but it's sort of become official that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so fo- folks who are not me who decided to do the math and it actually works mm-hmm. out to be it actually works out to be like 150 years if they if they just maintained warp seven the entire time. So that's quite re- that actually seems like that kind of checks out because at first I was like, no, that seems like too long. Like, mm. and then nah, it's about right. Um, so anyway, way the heck over there. But, so what we're talking about is like on the edge of a quadrant, almost to the next quadrant is this place. But of course, um, they just decided to turn the turn the yeah. get the crystal ball out or pull yeah. it out of a hat or whatever you want to call it and be like oh yeah. by the way we're just gonna spore jump over like it's oh fine. yeah there's that whole thing that it's fine it didn't almost completely wreck the brain of the guy who navigates it but <laughs> cool like yeah, yeah and then everybody's cool and, and it's fine but like, they oh, were gonna how... decommission it but like this is important yeah, yeah. So... and then they're like how fast can you have it back online and they're like ah 20 minutes and it's like okay but in the very first episode like last week's episode they're Tilly's talking about like decommissioning it and like taking stuff to storage, right? And it's like, yeah, eh, it's fine. Yeah. It's fine. 20 minutes. Nope. We'll just throw no big deal. Amazon. He'll be fine with it. I'm not even going to ask him. I'm sure he'll say yes. Right. So I'm, and especially because then we, we even have that moment where he's worried about getting back in there because he, he doesn't know what he's going to experience, right? It's, he saw yeah. Hugh there. He's freaked out about it. And then they're like, nope, no big deal. Go back. No, it's kind of, I so, thought it was super messed up that they actually asked him to do it. And yeah. I, I'm like upset that they did it because it feels lazy. It, well, plus, you know, I was hoping that the whole sport drive thing, everyone, it's this huge elephant in the room in terms huge. of canon. Agreed. And, yes. And they kept promising us, we're going to fix it. We're going to make it right. We're going to set well, canon you right. See, and what's crazy about this, they said that out of one side of their mouths. And then on the other side, if you guys remember, I don't know if you remember this at all, but in, towards the end of season one in an After Trek episode, 
the show owners, now gone, but of course who were in part of making this season, mm-hmm. even said, oh, well, it you don't get the keys to a Maserati and then you leave it in, in the garage. You know, hint, hint. Like, we're not just going to leave it that way in season two. And it's like, okay, so cool, but you just said you were going to find a way to leave it alone. But yeah. then you're not. And also, but then you're not. Just you like, just hinted you're you don't... not. It's just... Uh, it just undoes... They need to come up with a reason that they can never use a spore drive again quickly. Yes. Yeah. And so far, yeah. this isn't, there is no reason so far. No. And it undoes like the need for any other kind of starship. Like why are, is anyone using warp after right. this? Exactly. Sure. And, and in fact, yeah. even in, even in brother, like they're setting this thing up that maybe this fancy dark matter meteor chunk can somehow work with the spores and replace stamets. By the way, that really makes no sense to me. The entire point of like needing a tardigrade or, or stamets was that a living being and the complexity of their brain and understanding how to map things out was needed to, <laughs> to accurately spore jump. Yeah. So how can a chunk of dark matter like meteor replace that? But they're talking, but they talk about that repeatedly, like both in Brother and in this episode, that this is the way forward to continue using the spore drive. And it's like, why are we continuing to find ways to use this? You're not supposed to, right? Yeah. Well, the the other side too to that is that they're using black matter as just a word meaning it does whatever we want it to do to further they totally the plot are. in that in any given moment. Because absolutely, the way we'll that talk about. It makes I want to bring this up more. Yeah, I want to bring this up later when we sort of get to our nitpicky part. But there's a number of problematic things with this that we can sort of nitpick later yeah, no, <laughs> sounds yeah. Good. it's 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 kind of crazy you're right um well so anyway the sport drives back online hooray just in time to pop right up way the heck over on the other side of the delta quadrant or <laughs> delta quadrant this isn't voyager the beta quadrant excuse me um and go explore this random colony of pre-war people from world war three as it turns out that's a kind of fun bit of canon nod, right? Mm-hmm. That, like we know there was a World War III. Um, so these people are pre-first contact by about 10 years. They've never, this is all before the first contact with the Vulcans happens. And as they describe it, nukes were about to rain down on them and they were transported away by this red angel. So I don't know. That's interesting, right? Mysterious. Why would this being or deity or whatever you want to call it decide to save a random group of people huddled in a church in 2053 i think it was right uh-huh. yeah so like why what, we don't know right <laughs> what are the motivations of this being mm. and then of course we get to the part that we've already snickered at a little but let's just get into it they just they decide apparently to combine all the re- all the religions ever and be cool with that and just chill out on uh-huh. this planet so yeah. and of course the number is seven which by the way if you didn't get it seven is the new 42 or 47 right for trekkers apparently like uh-huh. seven is everywhere seven births seven religions like i think they're trying to tell us something here but anyway uh it, well it, it, it's yeah uh, it's i mean <laughs> seven has special uh, abhorrence in christianity of like the seven deadly sins or, oh or sure the, opposite, right. uh, the seven right. uh, virtues i can't remember exactly what they're called or uh, the se- uh, seven heavens. Um, oh, like, sure. Uh, you know, right. d- the divine comedy. He goes to the nine hells and then the seven heavens. So, right. I mean, they didn't pick that number out of a hat. No, no, I didn't think they did, but just they're really hitting it home, right? Like seven. Did you know seven's a special number? You know, like. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yes. 
So this mashup religion, I, I'm sure we all have some thoughts about that. <laughs> um, before I want, before we get into it, I will say that I loved that we had um, some chats about this. You know, the day after the episode aired in our Trek movie Slack, and it was said by one of our contributors that you know, just just like, oh, this is this is a this is a plot device dreamed up only by like could only be by an atheist because no one would you know this would this wouldn't work. yeah and i actually think yeah, there's truth how, that like i don't understand that yeah like it, it felt more like a safe space on a college campus that no one is ever going to use <laughs> rather than an actual okay. meeting house, that's hilarious right? jared yes it's like, actually, like, maybe it's supposed yeah. to be like the um the non-denominational place of worship you see in like airports Yes, exactly. Sure. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah, exactly yeah. what it feels yeah. like. But yeah, no one actually exactly like ha- uh-huh. practices like large events there, right? Just for someone to come in and pray and leave. So it's not like right. you'd have a uh-huh. ceremony. No, no. Yeah. Right. So yeah, it's 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 a neat idea, I suppose. But like, really, I don't know about that. Like, sure. Yeah, I know. I was just like, I yeah, I agree. I thought it was kind of unbelievable and especially because they just wash over it like just accept that they all live in harmony well all the religions mm-hmm. except yeah. for science if you're a right. scientist you're like outcast right yeah i thought it was interesting that burnham even says well say my religion is science you know and like poses something that way yeah they also mm-hmm. think they didn't did they have Sikh sikhism in there i don't think no, they did no no yeah well, there's, only, there's only 30 million of them you don't even really you know who cares right right but they but they did pick i mean you know they did pick like some very some smaller religions which i thought was interesting it's like okay yeah yeah like like judaism is actually very small compared to sikhism anyway but that's not right that's besides the point but no i guess they're just sort of you know pep- peppering in seven of them right pick and choose seven and like there you go sure right. yeah sure but 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 i do think it's interesting that they thought that somehow we can just cut co- like copy and paste like cut up different religious texts and put them together and it's mm-hmm. totally gonna work like they're they're gonna work. Yeah. I suppose you could couple something together, sure, but like it's just interesting. Like, okay. It was I a little on the nose, the book. <laughs> yeah. A little on the nose. Yeah. Yeah. But whatever. See, so the more interesting thing to do would have been to combine Star Trek religions, and at some point we have a uh, holographic Lucifer, and when you walk through the door, it says, friend, whatever your name is, right? That would have been good. <laughs> and then you pay two strips of latinum at the door because it's also part Ferengi, you know, Ex- everything's combined. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly, yeah. for the uh, yeah. Divine Exchequer. For the, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, you know, okay, that's a little maybe kind of heavy-handed, like whatever. It's But interesting idea and so these folks are here and they were pulled away in the middle of uh, nukes raining down on them and so they're not even sure if there is an earth anymore right because they obviously they know they've been transported somewhere but they sure. so they don't even know you know what's happened in 200 years i felt like they kind of assumed that earth was gone they did which you know if you think this is like doomsday i i think yeah, you would assume that like too. Uh, like like, like, like uh, picture rec- people the reckoning type of thing yeah, or even just picture like you know, say, you know, during the Cold War, a nuclear event really did happen between us and the Russians. I think if, as a kid cowering under a school desk, and say you survived, I think you would assume everything else is blown to smithereens, wouldn't you? You know, yeah, makes so sense. Makes sense. It's that it's that kind of fear, right? It's that feeling that like, okay, well, we must be, um, and the Earth must be a smoldering ash, and we're it. Um, so kind of you know again really interesting idea that this is 
plausible these people would feel this way um what else oh i think it was nice that in the landing party we got to see bridge officer um yep and i even have it phonetically so i don't biff that but now i just did (laughs) yeah see because it's a cool name i just i just why there's three of us but anyway, yeah, Awoshikun, right? I just it's like nice saying Awoshikun. It's a great it's name. A, it's a cool name. I like saying it. I just, I just, three, three out of four times I biff it. So I just want to get it right. <laughs> so Jo, or Joanne is her first name, which is more conventional. But yeah, Awoshikun, right? It's cool to see her get off the bridge. They give her this background, which I feel like doesn't, in the end, almost doesn't matter. But it, but it's thrown out there, interestingly, that apparently she was raised in, and this term, I think, is a, needs to be nitpicked a little too, in a Luddite colony. And I think that's a weird thing to say because they, a, it's a very... they really called her. They said she was in a luddite colony. Yes, I yes. totally I a... glazed over yes. that. That that, no, that actual was, term. Yeah, that, that... And yeah, it was, that was it's weird. it's it's weird because a that's kind of a specific term, although it's become generally used. But it's also these days if we use say it's almost derogatory, right? It's like, geez, you're so backwards. Like get get with like, it. Like learn get a technology. Smartphone. Yeah. Yeah, learn technology. Come on. Um, and I don't think that's like how that would be seen because for, to, to take another example from Star Trek, we know that, um, you know, Jean-Luc Picard's family, the Picard family liked old things. They, when he goes back and visits them in family, you know, his brother discusses that it took his wife bringing in a replicator. They didn't have one before. So would you be like, oh, they're Luddites? No, you'd probably just be like, oh, they live they live like a traditional life or something like that. And so I think it's weird that they decided to sort of shorthand that with that term. Like that's a weird term for them to choose, the writers. Like to just be like, oh yeah, she lived in a Luddite colony. Except for obviously like she decided to leave that little, you know, community because now she, you know, <laughs> pilots a starship. Right. So. Um, which is fine. People can do that, obviously, but it's just interesting and kind of a weird choice of like terms. I think they thought it was yeah. one. I think they thought it was one word instead uh-huh. of a sentence. Like they could collapse a sentence into a word and just said, "Oh yeah." Instead of saying that she grew up in a traditional, you know, like sure you know, town that that eschewed technology, we'll just one word. Okay, luddite done. And it's like, all right, yeah. but that has weird con- that has weird context. Maybe don't use the thesaurus. You know, like without you know like <laughs> let's let's look at our screenwriting software and think about that for a second <laughs> i hate to be a jerk sorry sorry guys that was maybe too harsh but still i, I really think they need to think about that so anyway no, moving on she, she so moving on she but she does sort of i think that they wanted her you know ability to use you know think about like old stuff and work with like older tech um to come in handy and it does a little bit like like it is cool that they get trapped in the cellar and she's like oh i got this i know how to undo that latch and totally you know jimmy's the lock from the inside and i think that's cool like that's that was putting her to good use of like oh yeah i grew up like in a traditional you know old school house that 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 makes a lot more sense than um kirk and spock uh being able to figure out how to drive a manual transmission car (laughs) yes that's right yes like it's such well, a cute scene, but like no. Yeah, because again, like yeah. okay, so you've you've seen these things like in textbooks or whatever, right? Uh-huh. Like, but it doesn't mean you know how to drive. Like, you take sure. driver's ed, and it doesn't mean you know how to drive. Then you have to tra- practice behind the wheel. You know what I mean? Yeah, and a manual transmission like, is is oh, like, even if manual, you drive yeah. automatic, a lot of people can't drive manual. No, exactly. yeah, I'm t- I'm yeah, terrible yeah. at driving stick. I can't. Yeah, it's like no. 
So whatever. But um, so uh, yeah. So in that sense, it was cool that they had Awoshikun come along because in theory, she has working practical knowledge of like old school stuff, right? So that was smart. I wish they'd used her a little more and had her talk a little more when she was down there. But yeah, well, it's nice that okay. we're getting to meet like some other people of the crew as well. Yeah, yeah. And, and in that vein, it was really cool to learn more about. <clears throat> uh, sorry, she has your first name, but spelled differently. Kayla Detmer, who gets to do some cool stuff on the bridge at the end of uh, the Discovery, and we learn that she's been flying since she was twelve. You know, just fun stuff like that. So we're learning more. There are too many Kaylas. <laughs> There's only one Kayla, and then there's a bunch of impersonators. Yeah. Boom. Exactly. There you go. So, yeah, but back on the planet, and then we meet Jacob, who, again, talk about, you know, biblical kind of stuff, right? Like, wow, Jacob, yeah. really? All right. Who, yeah. Um, yep. Mm-hmm. So I, I actually kind of giggled when they said his name was Jacob, because that is like the Bibliest name there is. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty and, It's pretty on the nose. Because yeah. Yeah. there's... Uh, um. You know, there's Jacob in the Old Testament, there's Jacob in the New Testament, and then on Lost, like, there's, I believe there was a character in the first season, I think he was the weird guy with the big beard whose name was Jacob, and, like, just that name had this, this kind of sense that, oh, he's some kind of prophet here on the island, and then, Mm -hmm. remember, we're all 30 Rock fans, like, uh, Kenneth Parcell, who was supposedly, like, this divine, immortal being, sometimes he would cry out to someone on the other side named Jacob, like, there's one episode where, uh, where the Tracy Morgan character, he thinks he's dead, and he yells out to the sky, he's not, I'm not finished with him, Jacob. He stays on this side. So I, I just can't take, I just can't take the name Jacob seriously anymore. Anyway, because it's kind of a cliche. And so here they use it again. Anyway, anyway, that was, that was my reaction to that. Yeah. And again, it's a little on the nose, perhaps. But Yeah, yeah. Um, but there he is, though, and of course, sort of almost maybe counter to the name in a way. He's there tending to, like, the little bits of science and tech that still work. Um, and so he's almost, though it's never, the, it doesn't go this far, but he's al- he's almost the heretic among them, right? For, like, still, his family still believes in science. I mean, it almost tends to some basically goes that far. Like, they clearly don't listen to him, and he's, like, saying, no one's been listening to my family all these years. Oh, I guess they. I guess you could say that, huh? Yeah, yeah. They, they totally they, were like they sort of soften it, but you could say that. Well, yeah. it's almost worse too because the rest of them like were saying how unbelievable it is for all these different religions to band together, and here they did it, and yet they couldn't listen to the person who. But they was won't a listen scientist to him. Slash, assume, yeah. presumably atheist. I'm guessing because he, like just because they're the misfits. Um, I mean, maybe not, but it's what it, that's what it it seemed like. So it's like. Really, y'all can get along, and then you're gonna like mm. you're gonna cut out this one family, and not listen well. to them. Yeah, and I think it speaks to that whole like, well, they've decided they've sort of resigned themselves to their fate, and then mysticized it. So then they're like, we don't care anymore to listen to you, right? We have a mysticism around how we were saved, so we just don't care, right? Yeah, and we're just not gonna listen to it. Um, but but again, yeah, that's like intolerant, sort of in another direction. It's like okay, there's no way to make all this work interesting um so maybe again maybe a little too on the nose for what they're doing there i don't know but it's still interesting and he was the uh, i mean the uh i can't think of the actor's name now i looked it up he's a he's a canadian actor but he did a good job the guy who played jacob yeah, yeah he was him. great he was great yeah he was very believable and, and like 
you wanted to side with him and you could see his like when he figures out because of course again he actually starts to reason out like he looks at them and he goes you don't have the signs of hard labor you don't you know he looks at all these like clues like all these different pieces mm-hmm. of evidence and says like yeah i don't think you're from here and i don't just mean like you know this this city like, yeah thanks for mentioning that moment that was the thing where i had the little reminder of the baku where mm-hmm. i'm like yeah if you live without technology then people have to do more right yeah yeah lots of lots of hand work all, all by the you know sunrise yeah, if, to if, sunset if you want, if no you want milk you you don't go down to the store you have to milk right. something yourself well his first right. line was why aren't you guys in the fields Exactly. Ah, oh, very That's good. That's right, it, because it's it, because it's midday. They should be out in the field, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I also think since we're sort of still on the on the topic, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump back to sort of the beginning when we learn that Pike is uh, was raised by his dad was both a like a professor of science and comparative religion, and I think that's kind of some interesting background. And of course, let's Pike kind of. At least he thinks so. He doesn't necessarily navigate it perfectly, but he thinks he can come into this situation and, you know, kind of disguise himself and play along with what's going on because he's got mm. this background in sure. at least familiarity, right? Did he just say science? Because that's pretty generic. He does. They do not They do not specify. Well, because so I'm, I'm kinda... assuming, like, if you're a professor of comparative religion, you're at the university level, right? And if you teach science... Science, yeah. you're 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 a K through twelve teacher right. or something. Yeah, exactly. Ah, it's weird. Yeah, it's we- you're right. It's weird. But again, I hate to say, it, but this well, we can get into more nitpicking. But I really wish that these guys would actually these guys, the writers, would take a second and maybe consult with some people because there's things like this that show that they don't actually know the correct like correct things, and they could ask someone who's in higher education like what to say. They could ask a science advisor, like what they to could say, literally would... tweet to someone and be literally. Like, that's right. They really could. You know what I mean? They could be, be like, some, "Hey, a yo, real simple. What's an appropriate title for someone who's like a science researcher or something?" Right? Yeah. Boom, done. And they mm-hmm. don't. And it, and it shows. You know, it's like ah. And so, and Trek has always had little problems like that, but I feel like this is happening more. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know in the Burman era, they at least tried to have a science advisor on board. And take their hey, advice. That's how Narn you know? Shankar started, I think. Right. He started Andre. Yeah, and so Andre Bormanas, who eventually started writing for Enterprise and now writes for the Orville. They also a bunch of those guys came, actually came in, right, because they were science advisors mm. first. And, and you know, not that they have to take their advice on everything, because they certainly don't. But it's like, okay, maybe ask someone. Um, well, there's more to say about that. But um, so, but but back to that, I thought I thought it was interesting that. So Pike has this background, right, where he's got this sort of comparative religion, like he's heard tossed around in his life. So in a sense, like, okay, he's the right kind of person to go, like, figure it out, navigate this situation. I also liked that now that they gave him this background of comparative religion, a scene in the cage works works really, like, it enhances a scene in the cage. Oh, do tell. Which is, which is when, remember that, remember Pike is being punished for not, cooperating by eating his little nutritional supplement that the Telosians give him. Oh, yeah, that's right. And they put him in a vision of essentially hell in agony, right, in in this hellish vision. And they even say that was from a fable you once heard in childhood. Oh, yeah, sure. So, boom, his dad was recounting, you know, various religious perspectives. He remembered it. The the Telosians reached into his mind and used it. I thought that was very... Yeah, yeah. I thought that was cool. I, I need to... 
I need to re I need to rewatch uh, the cage before we. The cage is great. Uh, always rewatch the cage. Always. <laughs> <laughs> it's always. Always. Thing. No, no, but yeah, it's it's. Uh, <laughs> um. But yeah, so I thought that was a cool way to like maybe tie things up a little, add a little more, you know, a little more connective tissue to what was already there in the truck cannon. Sure. No, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Anyway, back to Jacob. So Jacob over here is tending to the beacon, right? And Pike and Owashikun and Burnham find it. And Jacob, of course, goes, I knew, you know, I knew someone would, would find it. And what's that tech in your hand? Like, of course, you're from, you know, not here. And mm-hmm. Pike very nicely <laughs> tries to do, I mean, he's trying to cover up because this is, he considers this a general order one, you know, a prime directive kind of thing because these guys were taken yeah. from Earth pre-war. I disagreed with him. <laughs> right. And this is actually one of those great things that like, that we, that I think is good to, that we can have a debate about, like as Trekkies and stuff. It's like, is this a prime directive situation? How did you guys Maybe. feel about no, it? No, not at all. I agree. Not at all. I agree. It's like, it's like the, the whole idea of the prime directive is to not pollute other cultures and species, right? And, and you know, the the quintessential example is the private little war of if you give technology to one side and they get right. an, uh, too much of an edge, then it completely throws off the uh, the development that, that species has to determine by themselves, right? But here, they're they're biologically the same species as you. They're from the same planet as you. Yeah. Uh, and but and some other alien force intervened. Right. And so it's like the same way another alien force was intervening in a private little war. And here's your chance to to reincorporate them back in, into your species. It's kind of like let's say yeah. and, they, and Burnham they, even says that she she thinks they should do that. Yeah, and Burnham she's right. Yeah. Well, like look at like space seed. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like people, I was, just, I was just thinking, like, what if you had people who were separated? Because they're ba- they're basically akin to like floating in a in an escape pod, right? Or they're like waiting right. to be rescued. Right. They're they're clinging, clinging on. Um, these people were transported mm-hmm. to this other planet, and like, good luck, hope you survive. And there's still people there who still want to reintegrate with the Earth. You know, they know about the Earth. They want to. Some of them want to be a part of it. Yeah, I think it's like. It's silly not to say, "Hey, here we are. It's us. Remember us, well, the humans." Although, although they've also taken on their own, like as we know, of course, as we discussed, sure. they've made their own culture that doesn't particularly care to be rescued at this point. Sure, but I don't see why you're not allowed to, like, let them reveal know. yourself. Yeah, yeah. I That's I, a good I point. disagreed with Pike. I, I think I think caution is advised. I'm not sure if it's against the Prime Directive though. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It may be a, a wait and see type of thing. Right. Um, but regardless, Pike feels it's a prime directive situation. So, of course, he continues to, like, not just admit that, yeah, they're travelers on some kind of Star Trek, you know, visiting them. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, Thank you, Z. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so, well, I don't know. Yeah. So, so he continues to, like, not admit that and says kind of funny stuff like, oh, no, this device is... For like whatever, I've had it in my family for generations. It's for like, navigation. Since we got moved here, yeah. It's been here for two hundred years. Came over with my family, and it's like, yeah. Considering the guy knows the state of the tech because he's been tending to it, and his family has, I don't think he's gonna buy that. I thought you know? he did like, a good job. Though he was convincing in terms of you know his body language and the way he spoke. He's just like, oh, oh yeah, yeah. No, this is a thing. Oh yeah, no, he tried really well. Like he did a really good job trying. Mm-hmm. It just the Jacob wasn't gonna buy that. Right, though. no matter you what. Know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. 
And then I, I guess we should jump up to the ship because that's kind of what happens as we talk to them for a little bit. And then the next plot line unfolds of Tilly and her taking her core sample of that dark matter meteor. And uh, by the way, already the meteor has apparently changed properties from when we saw it in Brother because before, like, it didn't crush all the things because, like, Burnham could pick up a, a piece of it. I know. I was thinking that the whole time. How could she pick up that piece? And, and yeah. now a tiny little fleck comes off and, like, goes outside of, you know, the uh, gravitational field and, bam, like, crushes a cart. Yeah. And it's like, okay. Which, which, which th- they did that exact same thing on the Orville two weeks earlier. When they go to the heavy gravity planet. Oh, anyway. yeah. Oh, like sure, the heavy the gravity planet. Yeah. Exactly. Mm, yeah. Right. I, I mean, I'm sure they're not copycatting it because... No, because it's a different setup. Been done. Exactly. Well, and it all would have been filmed before... Both of yes. these episodes would have been filmed before... Well before. Either the season yeah. started. Right. Yeah, well before. Well before. That is but, funny, though, that yes. they both did something like that. You're right. Huh. There's that heavy... Yeah. Wow, that's that exactly gravity. the same thing. Well, no, but only mm. only in demonstration. Otherwise, the the reasons are different. You know, one's one's a naturally occurring high gravity world. One's a crazy dark matter rock. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's but a, there's a you true. know a gravity true. field, and once it gets outside of that, it catastrophically falls to the ground. Yes. Well, I mean, it's sure. just a cl- it's a classic like visual example, right? I mean, that's what you would do. Um, but so yeah, we have already got like. This MacGuffin meteor is already sort of changing properties. Yeah, from last a, week to this because week. it's dark matter, which means, like I said, they it, it does. <laughs> you never whatever know, man. We needed to yeah. do for the plot of yeah. in this particular moment. Yeah, and 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 the metrion particles. Don't forget the metrion particles. Whatever they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Which is which is a fake Trek particle. Yeah. Yeah, or the interferometric particles in mm-hmm. Voyager mm-hmm. that interfere mm-hmm. with things. Yes. <laughs> yes. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Yep. Well, anyway, she takes the core sample, and of course, like things don't go quite perfectly, and she ends up, you know, knocked on her ass pretty seriously, and ends up in sick bay. And this is kind of, you know, this is a, this is a good moment. I like this moment between Tilly and Saru that happens. Mm-hmm. I think it's really great where they have that really nice conversation where Saru says, "Look, you also need to take care of yourself and think about." Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're valuable too. You know, yeah, it's a really nice. It was a good Saru mentoring Tilly leadership yeah. moment because he, yeah, he, he needs mm-hmm. to have more of those, especially if they're gonna convince me that he can have any he's kind of command material. Real, yeah, yeah, because he's <laughs> yeah. frankly, I don't think he is at this point. Especially after we've talked about this before, but especially after his episode last season where uh-huh. he went crazy and tried to kill his fellow crew members, and then later said, "Oh, I wasn't under the influence of anything. That was just me." And it's like, mm-hmm. okay, well, from that point on, and then, like, I, I don't think he's shown a lot of leadership. And this was, like, a really good leader moment for him, I thought. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also good to mentor Tilly now that she's in the command program. I, I will say, that scene of Tilly getting hurt made me, like, jump out of my seat, right? Like, I was actually just watching with one eye and, like, I aming with a friend of mine on my phone. But when I saw Tilly get hurt... Like, I yelped. Like, Aww. it evoked an emotional response for me. And I'm like, oh, I'm invested in this character. I'm so happy. <laughs> We're doing something right. Yay, Tilly. I love Everybody. Tilly. Hashtag Tilly is life. Yeah. She, yeah. She, she is. She is. Yeah, so poor Tilly. And it does. Like, I mean, there's a real, like, thud. I mean, it it, it, you, it hurts. You know what I mean? You can you can feel it when she does it, when she gets thrown back. So she wakes up in sickbay and has this great conversation with Saru. And then we get to another little mystery, right, that's going to occur at least a few more episodes i imagine 
is that suddenly her buddy May is there talking to her. Her buddy May, who has the coolest accent. Yeah, yeah. I love that. She's accent. a she's the actress is from the West Indies somewhere. I don't know exactly where. So there you go. She's like you know from Barbados or Antigua or something like that. I'm not sure, but so she's got a cool accent and she's her buddy. And of course, Tilly doesn't recognize her like immediately. And they do a good job. Like the very first time we see her, they do a good job. Uh huh. They of do. Maybe of maybe she's just like a timid ensign that came to see her because she kind of fades away into the background you know not fade not literally fades but she like steps back and like gets out of the way of the action and so you know you're not entirely sure that tilly sees dead people yet right but right, right. <laughs> but but almost but the very next interaction i was like oh no something is very yeah like yeah i agree here. because yeah, she says because she could smell it from the yeah yeah it, it, I can it's, smell you know, from the start. I, I'm like, yeah, this is yeah. Paul Bettany in a beautiful, beautiful mind right here. This, this, <laughs> this lady is not here. Yeah. And so, of course, then she goes, she says something along the line. This is what really sort of starts to give it away. She says something about, oh, she, I don't remember the line exactly. I wish I'd looked it up. Uh, about like, oh, your mind is really a crazy place to be or whatever like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. And something. It, yeah. I know what it, you mean. Like as if it, she knows what not, her mind mm-hmm. is doing right yeah. so it's not quite as direct as that so it's open to a little bit of interpretation but it's basically like dude she's in your head and like she knows exactly what you're thinking yeah yeah so but yeah that's interesting and um almost for sure related to that one last little spore that dropped on tilly's shoulder from last season um <clears throat> i think we a lot of people thought about that and then actually good old johnny freaks everybody's favorite director actually gave an inter- a post episode interview pretty much says yes this is directly related to what you think it is like there's the, the score oh, okay, plate great. on her shoulder so there you go we'll see how that plays out but something about the mycelial network is stimulated by that dark matter which is what we've learned you know like it does weird things to it so something went on with that little spore that integrated into Tilly's shoulder again dark matter man it does whatever mm-hmm. the plot needs it to do it does it does the cool stuff it does. Yeah. it's very malleable yeah. mm-hmm all all purpose. <laughs> all purpose dark matter. Did, can I can I throw out a fun fact about dark matter? Please do. Yeah. So Please. like we, I'm joking about how it's this catch-all term in Star Trek, and it is in sci-fi as well. But it's sort of in science as well. It is actually just a catch-all term for basically stuff that we don't know what it is. So mm-hmm. we so the universe is made up mostly of stuff that we have no idea what it is. Um, Mm -hmm. And by that, I mean, like, it doesn't fall under the classification of matter as we know it. So everything that you, like, interact with on your daily daily basis, every chemical element on the periodic table and everything that those elements make up in our universe make up only about 4% of the universe. The rest of it is stuff that we don't know what it is. And that's what dark matter is. Mm-hmm. So it, oh, okay. it just All kind right. of gives you an idea that like so that people they discovered that dark matter exists because they you know scientists could make observations saying that there is something there but we have no ability to measure it directly but that it, it leaves other kinds of strange effects so we're like okay there's some kind of matter there we can't really see it we're just going to call it dark matter and it's this umbrella term meaning anything that's hmm. not normal matter and by normal matter like I said oh, okay. anything you can cool. think of that that we have classified which is a lot of stuff mm-hmm. we think that the universe is made up of only that stuff but it's actually it just kind of highlights that we, we are in the nascent stages of our understanding of the universe 
as a sure as a right. civilization. So yeah, cool yeah. to think about. So, so the, that's a good this, point. This is stuff that's well well beyond even the lanthanides and the actinides is what you're telling me. Yeah, and maybe maybe it doesn't even fit on the periodic table because it just oh, defies wow. classification as we classify huh. matter. Hmm. Makes well, sense. in that's in that sense, it totally fits then. Yeah. <laughs> what we see here, <laughs> except for that it looks um, like an asteroid, and you can touch it, and it has gravity, yes, and yes, has mass. Yes. <laughs> yeah, all these things that mostly right, they that it acts defies... like matter. The the, the dark yeah. matter meteor. This is when I was saying, yeah, they're, they're using it totally wrong. Like I feel yeah. like it's too matter. Like it's just like it's more like an exotic matter. Yes, that's what it seems like. You're right. It's just some exotic thing. Um, well, we just talked about it being a MacGuffin, so there you go. That's pretty much what it is. Mm-hmm. But it's more than that because it's being used for so many things. You know, it's not just the start of the story of, oh, we're going after this dark matter meteor MacGuffin, but it's also keeps popping up like, oh, it's messing with the spores and it's, we, you mm-hmm. know, they use it to because it has all this gravity and I still don't quite understand what yes. they did with it. <laughs> Yes, and that's exactly what we're about to talk about. So let's talk about that because I think that's where we are in this episode too. Is back on the ship. Um, so you know, Tilly and her like and her new friend sort of reason out this idea, this crazy idea of how do you save the people on the planet? Oh, because by the way, we couldn't have an episode without a quote extinction level event unquote happening. Um, <laughs> because the red the red angel, despite it being a grand design in theory, right, like plop them on this planet that will eventually irradiate them. So that's not really a wise choice, right? <laughs> um, apparently. Uh, so, and I guess I still don't, you know, it's this whole thing of like, well, you can't really move enough of that material. Retractor beams alone can't really do it. Yada, yada, yada. Oh, but what can? Well, this massively like weird, you know, dense, heavy, you know, dark matter thing. We can do it with that. So apparently they can drag the dark matter meteor with with yeah i know right so here we go let's see you can drag this dark matter meteor with the tractor beams but the uh-huh. tractor beams themselves can't move like the irradiated material and it's so massive Enough. that it will suck up all of these things all, of all of these stuff. particles and rocks that right. are orbiting the planet but it won't suck up anything else right so if they slingshot it around the planet and let it just kind of collect up you know this stuff from like the outer ring and just let it drift along its way. Because that's the other thing is they just leave it to drift, right? They let it slingshot it around kind of. Or donut, as they like to say. Because they, they decided to get very colloquial in 20th century, oh, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they're uh, teenagers in their dad's right. car. We're doing donuts. We're doing a donut, bro. So they, they donut, bro, it. And then um, <laughs> let <laughs> and let the meteor just kind of like collect all the crap and then just float away. So conveniently it's now. So they not do- how gravity works. I know, I know. It, it, was, so, it was kind of upsetting, I have to admit. It's well, there there are a number of things that are like not right about that. Like we were yeah. discussing earlier, there's a redshift thing we can talk about when we nitpick this a little more in a, in a few minutes too. But so so they so they you know Tilly comes up with the idea of you get, you pull this crazy dark matter meteor out, let it you know collect all the things, um, then people are saved. So. This goes back to another prime directive question. Now, you guys basically just just all said that you don't think the prime directive applies, so maybe this isn't an issue. But, okay, assuming that, so Pike declared this a prime directive situation, right? So then Saru should not have just jumped on this and saved everyone because, again, the prime directive applies. 
in theory does the prime directive does the prime directive apply to like thwarting and and um Yes. An off-planet, off-planet yes. natural disaster. Like if there's a meteor yeah. hurtling towards a planet yeah. and you redirect it. Yeah, unless unless you're a warp civilization and have contact and ask for help, you are not supposed to interfere with those things. Because what happens if a meteor is traveling along and you redirect it, and then you figure out in a million years it was going to hit a planet, and that planet is pre-warp? You know what I mean? Like, mm. oh well, that yeah. that one you can't like that, that that well yeah like that you can't really do anything about. You know what I mean? Like that's so far in the future. You just have to base it on the information you have now. I think you know what I mean. Um, but based on what they know now, in theory, Pike has decided because they were humans taken before, you know, warp, yada yada. The Prime Directive applies, so Saru should actually at least have like a little bit of hesitation about like what he's supposed to do here. I mean, we know like for sure we got to rescue Pike and Burnham and Oshikun, right? We got to rescue the landing party, but they can't easily. So I get Saru's choice. I, I totally understand why he would make that choice, but I really, really, really wish that they had taken like a minute to have a brief bit of dialogue about it. Yeah. Because there should have been some consideration of it. And I, I've, I've already seen pushback on this. Like we've said, oh, maybe we should put some dialogue. And I've seen people comment back why it makes sense. Like we know it's why Saru would choose to do this. Why do you need the dialogue? And, and to my point is, well, we're supposed to actually be Starfleet officers that weigh decisions. They don't right. have to be, they don't have to go, you know, they don't have to stop everything and go to a conference lounge and talk about it, but they should take a minute and like, think about it. They do have to act quickly, but like, they don't like, let's take 30 seconds and think about it. Right. And, and it can even be as, as simple as, um, it can even be as simple as Saru just goes, look, this may be a violation of the prime directive. I don't care. I'm going to do it to save our people. Like it's a command right, decision. Exactly. If anybody, if anybody has a problem with it, like it will be noted in the log. Here we go. We're doing it. Right. Too bad. You know what I mean? Yeah. There was, and that that takes two seconds of dialogue. Perfect. You're right. right? That would have been. They, that's and, important. They should have done that. And they didn't even do that. And that's the part that bothers me more more than the choice to do it. Like that's fine. I see why he made that. Yeah, choice. Yeah, it's obvious. I think. I think. I think especially Saru of all people, it makes sense for him to make that choice because. A, he's he's always had leaders that go about like that do this for him. Well, not Lorca, but we know we know that Pike really inspired everyone with his "no one lets you know gets left behind" speech in the last episode. So you can see why he would be you know very emboldened and loyal to Pike at this point. Saru especially like also knows what it means to leave people behind in a, in a primitive place. Like he himself was the benefit of somebody fudging the prime directive yeah, and sure. being pulled out as we learned in the short treks. And so he worked, you know, he, he got pulled out by Giorgio. So he's had a lot of leadership that will make exceptions for good reason. Right. So he's this kind of a, he's already like learned that maybe this is what a commander needs to do. Maybe they need to make these tough choices and sometimes you sure. violate. So it makes perfect sense that Saru would make this choice. I just wish that they had said, okay, I know this may this may be, you know, fudging the prime directive. Don't care. Going to do it anyway, right? Just take a second and acknowledge it. Mm-hmm. And speaking of compromising the prime directive, I kind of love that Pike decides to compromise his interpretation of the prime directive. Yes. At the yes, end of the I think that's a great point. And I, yeah, I think it's actually really smart of him to do that, honestly. I love like, like those scenes in movies and TV where they have like the sort of like modern day or you know, sort of primitive person 
and they get to like see the starship or they get to see like oh here's the truth we're from the future whatever you're kind of a thing you know i love that because it really puts you in the position of the character i I love that oh wow I really like that Pike even says, hey, you might want to step back. And he does, you know, like, oh, no, like, what's going to happen if I stand too close to the transporter beam? You yeah. Know? And and it's a really, and he gives this, really, you know, and again, really great look on, on the actor's face, you know, when he watches Pike dematerialize. Yeah, you know? yeah it was awesome. It's, it's really great. And I think, of course, like, this is the right call because Pike, again, needs to weigh the pros and cons, right? Like, if he if he officially confirms what Jacob already suspects, a, what kind of harm does that really do, right? Like, Jacob already is pretty already sure that these out. guys are, are full of it, right? He already knows what they really are. And then also, there's this larger issue at stake of, like, what the heck is going on with these red bursts? Like, what is this red angel? He has a clue. You know, he has the helmet camera from the soldier, right, that give, could give, be a clue. So really, like, this is a good, you know, this is a good command decision, right? It's a smart command decision of, like, look, he already thinks that telling him isn't going to change anything anyway really so yes i'll tell him i'll give him a power cell like in trade for the helmet cam like makes perfect sense i thought it was cool i like it yeah uh to go back to something biblical pike then um gives jacob a way to light the church (laughs) almost like and they even pan up from the church bursting with light back up to the sky almost as if pike was an angel that you know blessed Jacob with <laughs> with advanced tech. Oh, they're 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 laying it on thick. They're I don't know. I think that's reaching kind of a little bit. Actually, it's more you like a so? that's more like a Prometheus giving him the gift of fire. Is ah, there you go, or the Prometheus comparison that I would make. But they do like, but I know, but they. Well, but that's just fine. a different. But they kind love of this divine being. thing. Well, because right? just true, because just yeah. because like it was motivated. Because at the beginning he said we're running out of power because we need it to light for the lights and everything. Because otherwise people don't come to the church right. they don't like make this pilgrimage to the church so i thought that it I, I thought it didn't feel shoehorned as like a as a religious moment because oh it wasn't it, it wasn't it shoehorned i just mean that, that context. i just mean that it gets a little it get again i think it's just like visually it gets a little like on the yeah nose. no it, it was, i think I it was intended i think it was intended yeah. to yeah you know pike let there be light you know he brought him light you know yep but it, it, again, it all it all makes the the good part is that all makes sense. Like it all is like reasonable in the situation, instead of being like totally out of the blue or yeah. you know irrational or something. It does make sense given the situation. And then we're off to the next adventure. So there you go. That's that's the uh, that's the gist of the plot. But we have lots to say, I'm sure, about all kinds of specific details to this. I, I think. So um. I, I wanted to give a little spiel about uh, my, my thoughts on um, religious imagery and sci-fi in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I know we're, we're getting we're getting kind of long, but I thought that might be kind of relevant. So uh, I thought this was well, you know, as we saw this leading up to it with the trailers and stuff, I thought this might be kind of weird because typically religious themes and imagery and characters is something you see more in fantasy settings, like the Chronicles of Narnia, or Lords of the Ring, mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings, or even Game of Thrones. There's there's mm-hmm. very religious to the to the point they even have like gods as actual characters and whatnot. Right. But then I, I was sort of considering other sci-fi franchises and actually it's not really that unusual to have it in sci-fi as well. Like in Dune, there's, there's the uh, Benny Jesuits, I think they're called in Firefly. They have like an actual preacher on the ship 
Battlestar mm-hmm. Galactica has religious imagery. Westworld certainly does. Westworld, they do it in the context of, like, does man need God once man has, can create life himself? That kind of thing. So it's kind of yes, timely. Yes. In, yes. in Babylon 5, all the characters, like, exp- explicitly have religious designations, right? Like, like Ivanova is Jewish and, and uh, uh, Captain... Um, oh, who's the first captain? The first captain was raised... A, 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 Catholic. Anyway, and one character, like, he's explicitly atheistic. So they go out of the way to say, yes, this is still going to be a part of the future. And then even, mm-hmm. like, like Twilight Zone is so religious. Like, I counted it up, and the devil features as a character in seven episodes from the 1960s version and three episodes from the 1980s version. So that's one out of every 20 Twilight Zone episodes literally has the devil in it, right? <laughs> and, and, and then there are some sci-fi series that are like explicitly atheistic and, and to the point of being kind of nihilistic, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like Red Dwarf or Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, right? Sure, um, yeah. So, so really, it's not that uh, religious imagery and themes or characters are unusual in sci-fi. It's just that they're unusual for Star Trek, right? Right. Which, of right. course, casts Especially a shadow over everything 80s else. Star Trek, yeah. Especially yeah. the Berman era, yeah. Yeah, and, and if you, I think I mentioned this in one episode once, but if you look up on Memory Alpha, the Bible... There are references for everything for every series except Next Generation, right? That makes perfect so, sense too. Mm-hmm. That that yeah, be the one yeah, because they, you know, they yeah. There's like a, the Apple episode of the original series. There's the Good Shepherd episode of Voyager and some stuff in Deep Space Nine, and so it, it's really just that the TNG, which of course for many people is the book of the franchise. Right. So it, it it's really going to be interesting to me to see if they can do this and do it well. Right. Yes. I think we're because all wary of that. For... Yeah. Let's hope yes. they can do it well. I, I mm-hmm. agree with that. I'm I'm weary of it too. I, mm-hmm. I also I also don't think in terms of like a social commentary that's timely, I don't think this is uh, uh, I think the ground they're tilling is not particularly fresh. Like mm-hmm. I think the more interesting thing to talk about nowadays is non religious people evidencing a, like primal religious behavior, right? Like <laughs> Like this, this whole idea of, um, mm-hmm. you know, the cult of the social justice warrior is kind of like a new religion in many ways. <laughs> and it's about finding heretics to burn. And I even I was listening to this one video on YouTube that said the phrase like being woke is similar to saying you've been w- born again. Right. For that. And so, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah open that's your funny. Yeah. Kind of true. So that t- yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, and so, so to to me, that would be the more interesting thing to deal with rather than trying to shoehorn Islam and Wicca into the same meeting house. <laughs> that was funny when they said Wicca. <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah. <laughs> or that, that would be the more Hindu one. Excuse me. Ah, um, uh, Sorry. Uh, any, anyway, so so that's just sort of my thoughts. Uh, I, 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 the, the, only, the only reference I could think of where someone makes an explicitly religious comment in the whole franchise is there's an episode where when Captain Cisco proposes to Cassidy Yates and says, Admiral Ross can marry us. And she says, my mother would prefer her daughter would be married by a minister, but an admiral is the next best thing. And so yep. one yep. supporting character, her off-screen mother has a minister and that's <laughs> mm-hmm. it. Other than that, this, the franchise kind of has a don't ask, don't tell policy. <laughs> they totally yes. do. Yes. And so, yes. so it's really, <laughs> totally I don't know. I'm do. a little, I'm a little worried. I thought, Although in TOS they do at least a they have a chapel, b they they throw in a few lines now disputedly like this is apparently a disputed line but they actually threw in a line remember in who who mourns for Adonais like they they throw in a line that says 
we've you know we've outgrown the need for gods we find the one quite sufficient so they clearly have oh, some kind of okay yeah they, they so have a judeo-christian a, idea a, of, of a, a Abrahamic god religion yeah right like thrown in there um so so yeah. it's not unheard of especially in tos to at least kind of tangentially acknowledge it it's it's really yeah. the it's really the the 70s roddenberry visionary kind of thing that kicks in later where they stop doing yeah. any any of that mm. yeah sure good point they even you know they mention christianity in um bread and circuses right oh sure yeah of course they and, do and K- yeah kirk says this is this is what's going to soften the roman empire the same way it did on earth you know 2000 years ago mm-hmm. but but even then mm-hmm. that was that was more of like a uh, socio-historical perspective yes. i thought than rather yes. than like kirk yeah. referencing right. a uh, um an opinion right as if he were right. practicing it yeah sure sure right sure. right definitely definitely um well before we kind of wrap up i want to say that i liked burnham's character growth in this i think it was nice to see her like sort of start to trust pike in the beginning and she's not sure if she should then say anything about her seeing the red angel and as she sees how Pike handles things and Pike's own kind of style and awareness of like things that are unexplainable and how he sees things eventually by the end of the episode, she feels she can tell him what she's seen. Mm. It's kind of a, it's, it's nice. It's some growth for Burnham. Burnham's kind of learning to be okay. Talking to Pike, you know, as a commanding officer and as, mm, I guess, kind of a friend in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess my sort of closing sentiments um, is thinking, thinking sort of circling back to what Matt, what you said at the very beginning of this podcast, we're like, Oh, we'll get into this later. We have plenty of stuff to nit- nitpick. And <laughs> Which we don't, I guess we don't have enough time for, but well, yes. yeah, we don't. Well, and we do. And we do have a lot of things that we want to nitpick. And of course it's all in good fun because we're Trekkies, but I, I just want to like yeah. make the point that these last two episodes of discovery have been more competent than Discovery's ever been, in my opinion, in terms yeah, of I agree. stories. I, agree. I think, and so yeah, I think Discovery season one hit its stride kind of in the middle group, and then yeah, but that's so so yeah. This has been a long time since we've seen. But this is really like matured. The storytelling has matured to the point where I'm not sitting there just being frustrated with the with the whole direction that everything is just. Uh, complete, you know, f- feels like everything is a mess, and feels like what are they going to do with this or that, and all these things are disjointed. There was too much going on, I think, before they've really streamlined it. They've picked the direction they want to go. They don't have all these peripheral things that they're trying that they don't seem like they know what they're doing with. Um, like I felt like that had a lot of in the first season. So when we're yes. nitpicking all this, no matter how good Discovery is, we will have a very long list of things to nitpick. Well, and that's sure. always true. I mean, I mean, like, like especially yeah. most voyage, most voyage episodes have a lot of suspe- suspect science in them because it's like you know, like Jared just talked about, they basically created a catch-all kind of particle to to just for for whatever they needed, literally called interfering particles. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And so we're always going to have something you know to pick about yeah, that. Exactly. But honestly, if if we're back to that kind of nitpicking, that's pretty good. That's exactly you know my mean? point. Sure. That's, that's, that's yeah, exactly your point. Yeah. That's exactly that's the point saying. I was trying yeah. to make. Is that I, I I'm so totally I'm agree. so glad that we're we're at this point where the base the base story the foundation of what Discovery is right now is completely competent. And, you yep, know, totally and I mean agree. that in mm-hmm. the most, like, I, I mean that as a, a compliment. 
Um, yeah. You know, it's it's everything it needs to be. It's done right. It's done well. It keep, like Jared was saying, I felt invested in the character. You know, I'm, fe- I'm feeling engaged in the stories that are being told. I feel like things are motivated. So this is just like, mm-hmm. this is what we're here to do, is to watch like a good, competent story and then have fun play with the details. You know, that's what we want to do on, on the sure. podcast. And yeah. As Trekkies. Sure, sure. Yep. Like, Nicely said. So yeah, yeah. so I'm, I'm very happy that that's how it's gone. So far, mm-hmm. two out of two. I know. All right. Well, next week, speaking of um, different threads from season one, we know that uh, we finally get to see what Laurel and Tyler have been up to over on uh, Kronos. Cool. Oh, great. Yeah. And we also get uh, Giorgio doing her Section 31 thing. That kind of gets mixed into it, too. Great. So so those are, yeah, this will be our first chance to see what we think of uh, Giorgio in Section 31. Yeah, I might might have to just take back everything I just said. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well we'll see we have to we have to see next week is it so it's going to be a very different episode okay. where they kind of focus on on a different set of plot threads for a little so bit. nervous <laughs> i'll be okay it'll be fine <laughs> so there you go there you go section 31 that's what we wanted <laughs> so sorry. Well, we have to we have to see. We'll see how they I'm, what happens. I and, uh, am the queen of optimism. I'm staying optimistic. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's a good quality. Cautiously optimistic. Cautiously I think that's optimistic. the word. That's the phrase for I think how we all feel about season two. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Awesome. All right. Well, I think that's it for this episode of the Shuttle Pod. Thanks for joining me, Kayla. Yeah. Good to see you guys. And Jared. Talk to you guys. Yep. Thanks everybody. Oh, also, thanks, everyone, for their input on social media from last episode. We really appreciated it. People seem to like my Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles speech. So that Oh, yeah, that actually was a big hit. That's yeah, true. That yeah, that was great. That. I loved it. Like that like that wasn't just a rabbit hole that I went down. Or a, tu- or, or a, or a sewer, as it were. <laughs> oh, a sewer. You were nice, going to say turtle done. hole. I was. I was. I caught myself. Turtle hole. Sewer is good, though. Sewer, <laughs> sewer really works. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, so again, thanks for listening. Thanks for all your feedback. Please keep giving us our feedback, rating us on iTunes, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, Cowabunga, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Totally rad, everyone. (laughs) You got it. All right. Bye, guys. Bye, everyone. Bye bye.